This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we get started. This episode contains references to suicide and descriptions of online harassment, which may be distressing for some listeners. If this raises any issues for you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. They're available 24 hours a day for crisis support. We'll also put some information on the Full Story website. I'm Jane Lee, and this is The Full Story. Over the last month, there's been a growing campaign to take down what's become known as the worst place on the internet. Contrary to what you might expect if you missed that segment, Kiwi Farms is not, well, a place where kiwis are grown on bushes, on trees. I don't actually know how kiwis are grown, but that's not what we're talking about, so it doesn't matter. It's an online forum with some particularly nasty users who sometimes engage in harassment for about a decade, this online forum has been used to spread far-right hate speech and to target vulnerable people for harassment with impunity. But now, some of those people have found a unique way to fight back. Today, reporter Josh Taylor on how the worst place got taken off the internet. It's Wednesday, the 5th of October. On August 5th, I was woken up by London police services pointing an assault rifle in my face at my home. I thought I was going to die. That was Clara Sorrenti, who is also known as Keffels. She's a popular live streamer on Twitch. She's talking here on her YouTube channel about something that happened to her at her home in Ontario, Canada, a few months ago on the 5th of August. And just a warning, it's a little distressing. I was told later that at 6 a.m. that morning, an email impersonating me was sent to every city councillor in the city of London, Ontario, stating that I have an illegal firearm, that I killed my mother, and that I plan to go to City Hall and shoot every cisgender person I see. I was shown the email while I was being interrogated in police custody. Clara says someone made a hoax call to emergency services about her to try to get police dispatched to her home. This is a practice known as swatting, and you commonly see it used by internet trolls to harass people. The police took it seriously. It was an obvious attempt to make the police humiliate me. The reason that Clara is being targeted like this is because, apart from being a streamer, she's also a trans activist with a public profile, often speaking against anti-trans bills that have popped up in the US in recent years. During the arrest, the police officer referred to me by my dead name. I was booked in the station under my dead name. Calling a trans person by their dead name or the name they were known by before they transition can be very offensive and often traumatic. The police, when talking to my mother, referred to me as her son. And even though this sounds like a pretty extreme case, unfortunately, this is just one example of the kind of harassment Clara experienced over the last month. After the police interrogated me and realized this is a situation that has happened to me before, I was released with no charges. This same situation happened just over a week ago. There is no guarantee this will not happen again. And my home is not safe. I feel traumatized. I just want everyone to know what happened and to ask for help so I can seek justice for what happened to me. Josh, you mentioned this has happened to Clara before. Tell me more about that. 
So when she first started getting swatted, people called the police with fake bomb threats at her house. She was also doxxed, meaning her private contact details were published online. She essentially had a fire hose of hate directed at her. I decided to tell my supporters that I was safe by posting a photo of my fiancé's cat on her hotel bed in my Discord server. So she was forced to flee out of her home into a hotel and then... The hotel I was staying at got doxxed. The people who have been harassing me spent hours cross-referencing the bedsheets with other local hotels until they found a match. In the morning afterwards, five different pizza companies sent pizzas to my hotel room under my dead name. When she was found again, uh, she ended up in Ireland. And her trolls have sort of been continuing to track her around the globe and continue harassing her. I do not want to live with the constant fear of being located and having threats escalate against me, putting my life at risk, as well as the lives of people I care about. Eventually, she says she had to go into hiding because the harassments just wouldn't stop. So, Josh, where is all this harassment coming from? Who is this person or people targeting Clara? Well, most of the people who were harassing Clara were members of this website called Kiwi Farms. Hmm. Kiwi Farms has been around for about a decade. It's, it, it's an online community whose uses document and organize harassment of prominent internet figures who are often women, LGBTQIA plus people, and those suffering from mental illness. It's basically a hub for harassment, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, transphobia, and homophobia, all just the terrible things you see online. It also has hosted pretty awful stuff, including the, the Christchurch shooting video and other shooting videos along the way. It's been dubbed one of the worst places on the internet, and that's saying a lot given some of the websites on the internet. You know, it, it, it's an offshoot of, of sites like 4chan, but, you know, arguably it's much more intense and, and much more uh, focused on harassment than those sites have been. And the thing that's disturbing about that to me, Josh, is just how organised and routine this practice seems to be as part of internet culture. Has this kind of harassment become more intense online over time? People like to think of the internet, I think, as like a large sort of open space where everyone's sort of all in each other's faces and, and communicating all the time. But there's definitely sort of these hubs where people can find like-minded people and then talk about things that they're interested in and things like that. And, you know, the way that Kiwi Farms looks online, it just looks like any other sort of community discussion board. But the way it's set up is essentially designed to to get all these people interested in making targets of these people and posting as much as they can about them online and then harassing them and things like that. And so that that in itself becomes the community because the, the community is built on uh, hate. You know, hate, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, but just, just making people feel awful and, and doing awful things to people. Okay, so Kiwi Farms has been doing this for a decade. And as awful as Clara's case does sound, she was just the latest target of the website's trolling. But her case has been pretty high profile recently, right? Why is that? Yeah, I mean, Clara was definitely not the first to be targeted by them and many had tried to stop the harassment and and stop it from happening to them as well. But she's got tens of thousands of followers on Twitch and on YouTube and has over 150,000 followers on Twitter. That gives you a pretty sizable audience if you want to be able to bring an issue to light and start tapping into your audience to potentially fight back. And so that's when she decided to launch a campaign called Drop Kiwi Farms. So my team and I have been working for a while, nonstop, preparing for the launch of this. The website is dropkiwifarms.net. The end goal of Drop Kiwi Farms was essentially to stop companies that were keeping the site online from 
providing services to this website mm. with the ultimate goal of bringing the site down so no one could access it. I need everyone's help here today. We're already starting to see results. Now, hashtags alone don't work, but she found a way to get others to use it and to apply pressure. And the provider that was targeted the most was a service called Cloudflare. Keffels first used the hashtag on August 22nd and correctly identified the best way to influence the company's decisions by targeting their stock. We've been seeing Cloudflare customers who were unaware of the campaign drop Cloudflare. This is hurting their bottom line. They will eventually have to respond to this. So Josh, what is Cloudflare and what services does it provide to Kiwi Farms and other websites? So you probably wouldn't have heard Cloudflare before this. It's something that most people who are online probably don't need to think about too much, but it's basically the back-end internet infrastructure. They provide cloud services, so they if, if your website is under attack, they will try and keep it online. If your website's hosted in one place, they'll try and keep instances of elsewhere. So if it goes down in one place, it's around other places, just things like that. Cloudflare basically, for a lot of businesses, keeps the internet running. Beyond Kiwi Farms, how big is Cloudflare? How wide is its influence on the internet? So they say they provide around 20% of the entire internet with services. Wow. We don't really know if those figures are accurate, but that's quite a large portion of the internet. It's probably most of the internet that you probably see every day. So if they service that much of the internet, sort of what's their approach when it comes to controversial websites? I'm sure this isn't the first controversial website that they've come across. Well, that's the difficult thing. So they have constantly said that they want to just be a service provider. They don't want to make judgment calls on what sites they're providing services to because they don't want to be a free speech arbiter. They say that they don't want to take a stance in these things, but they do have some sites they don't provide services to. And so they do make these decisions all the time. But I think when they have campaigns on this, uh, they just don't want to be seen to be bowing to these campaigns, essentially. They've previously had no issues with providing services to organizations like Al-Qaeda and white supremacist websites like the Daily Stormer. Mm. Okay. So it sounds like Cloudflare, which, as you say, provides the services that Kiwi Farms needs to stay online, is pretty comfortable supporting other websites that many people might find offensive. So how did it respond to these calls to take down Kiwi Farms initially? It resisted. You know, we mentioned Daily Stormer before, and they had subsequently taken down services to Daily Stormer after there was pressure after the the Christchurch massacre. But they've always indicated a reluctance to actually do anything. For this case, they initially tried to deflect responsibility for keeping it online. It was very reminiscent for the way Facebook and Twitter and those sorts of companies have argued in the past that they should not be responsible for the content that is posted on their platform. Now they have much more of a direct control than Cloudflare does, but it was a very, very similar stance to the way those companies used to act. Okay. So you mentioned that Cloudflare initially resisted calls to drop Kiwi Farms. What did they actually say about this? At the end of August, Cloudflare's CEO, Matthew Prince, and its vice president of public policy, Alyssa Starzak, made a 2,500-word blog post that laid out the case for keeping these sites online. Mm-hmm. Didn't actually mention Kiwi Farms by name, but did reference that people had raised questions about the company's abuse policies Mm-hmm. And they generally said that the only people who should be making these decisions are the people who, are, who have control over the content themselves. And they compared themselves essentially to a telephone company. They said that 
you can do drug deals over the phone and you know you're not going to have your service interrupted you can do all sorts of stuff on your phone and they're not going to take it away so they argued that they as a utility they should have no role in deciding what can and can't be done using its service right so cloudflare argues we're just a neutral party here and the responsibility for the harmful content lies with website owners not us but meanwhile the stuff that's being posted on Kiwi Farms is affecting the lives and safety of people like Clara. So did Cloudflare say that they would draw the line at any point on how harmful they'd allow the content to become before they'd act? They did say that if content is harmful, then they will restrict it. So as long as what Kiwi Farms was doing wasn't harmful, then they didn't think it was a breach of their policy. So what happened after that? Well, it was just four days later the CEO came out with another blog post and announced that the company had dropped Kiwi Farms, saying that threats had escalated to the people who had been launching the campaign in the last 48 hours and it made sense to stop providing services to it. Right. So the reason he gave was that there was so much content on Kiwi Farms that wasn't just toxic, but actively dangerous, it presented a real conundrum for the police to actually keep it running. Quote, we believe there is an unprecedented emergency and immediate threat to human life, unlike we have previously seen from Kiwi Farms or any other customer before, said Prince. He said that the company had been working with law enforcement, but it was that much of an emergency they had to act to bring it down. Mm-hmm. But it's fair to say that uh, there was a lot of media pressure at the time that I think potentially had an impact on Cloudflare's decision in this whole process. Most of us have never heard of companies like Cloudflare, but they play such an important role in keeping uh, a lot of the internet running. Really what Sorrenti is doing here is bringing the new frontier, uh, bringing more accountability to these uh, types of companies. So how did Clara respond? Hi, everyone. We finally did it. On YouTube, she called it a win, but said the battle against Kiwi Farms isn't over yet. We need to take the W and we need to celebrate because if we can get Cloudflare to drop Kiwi Farms, we can easily get any other company that they work with to drop Kiwi Farms. So even though Kiwi Farms was taken offline, Clara said this wasn't the end of her campaign against the website. What happened next? So since Kiwi Farms was dropped by Cloudflare... It's basically bounced around from company to company, coming back up briefly, being taken offline. It's had archives taken offline. It's basically a giant game of whack-a-mole since uh, since they've been taken offline. And, and as of the time of recording, it seems that they're still offline at the moment. So it sounds like Kiwi Farms is just going to keep pushing and trying and getting dropped over and over again. Will this just keep happening forever? It will keep happening until the owners just get really sick of trying to keep it online or until regulators step in and just stop it from coming back online. As for Clara, she's still currently in Ireland and Kiwi Farms is still her focus and and obviously the whole saga has taken a big toll on her. Next, what needs to happen to prevent Kiwi Farms from coming back online in Australia? So, Josh, even though this global campaign has largely succeeded, it sounds like, in getting Kiwi Farms taken offline, it seems like there's still a risk 
it and other hate websites like it can still go back up. And I understand there's a campaign to stop this from happening right here in Australia, right? Tell me about the person who's driving that. My name is Liz Fong-Jones, and I work as a software developer in Sydney and also in Vancouver in Canada. I spoke to a woman whose name is Liz Fong-Jones. Yeah, so how I came to the attention of Kiwi Farms was, um, was really interesting. Tell me about Liz. So Liz is a trans woman who is a software engineer, and she was also trolled by users of Kiwi Farms back before all this happened to Clara when she was working at Google. So in November of 2016, after the elections in the US where Donald Trump was elected president, um, I became very concerned about um, what might happen to transgender people in the United States, given the kind of uh, wave of anti-transgender sentiment that I knew that that election would bring. Um, So I started, uh, my spouse and I started becoming major donors to transgender causes. Liz was telling me that she started supporting several nonprofit organizations that were focused on trans issues, and at one point she donated some money to a crisis hotline for trans people. I said, you know, on social media, I've donated $5,000 to Trans Lifeline. And that's what caused uh, Kiwi Farms to go after me. I, I, I kid you not. Like, it, it was really that simple. Liz says that this account soon started harassing her, and she pretty quickly blocked this person and warned her friends to do the same. But then later, posts started appearing on Kiwi Farms about her, and then the harassment started. At first, it was just weird conspiracy theories, but then it escalated. Sure enough, like my home address, uh, my parents' names, my wedding's photos, like my birth name, like all those things were posted online on Kiwi Farms because of a $5,000 donation. What was that harassment like for her? She says it was really worrying. Gosh, you know, I worried a lot about my physical safety. Um, I've moved since to Canada and Australia, um, which thankfully has made me feel a lot safer. Um, so I, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it was one factor in me deciding to sell my house to leave the country. I consistently, you know, do, do receive threats. But Liz did say that the volume of threats did actually recede for her when, in 2019, she publicly announced that she would be resigning from her job at Google which was actually this interesting thing where I could have left well enough alone, right? Like, I, I could have stayed out of the fight that broke out kind of in, in, in August of 2022. I didn't have to do that. Right, so Liz's harassment by Kiwi Farms ended years before Clara was also targeted by that website and started her campaign to bring it down. How did Liz decide to get involved in all this? So I actually had never heard of Clara Sorrenti or or Kevold as she's known. Like I, I had no idea who she was. Like all I saw was you know in my me- social media feed one one morning in August it was you know a uh, Twitch streamer in Canada is is swatted and uh, and I was like, gosh that really sucks because like I just moved to Canada. Okay, like I should be on the lookout for things like this, right? I've been targeted by the same group before. Um, so that was kind of when I saw that there was, you know, something that Clara and I shared in common, even though it was, you know, separated by, by five years. And it kind of was the thing of realizing, like, no trans person is ever going to be safe as long as the site is out there and picking at random trans people to go after. So she decided to get involved. And what were the first steps that she took? So because Kiwi Farms isn't an Australian website, your assumption might be that Australian laws don't really have any jurisdiction here. There really isn't anything that you can do to take this website offline. But Liz actually discovered a bit of technicality that means that there was something Australia could do. Right. And and what's that? 
So actually, Kiwi Farms was operating using an IP address that was leased to an Australian company. And that IP address is controlled by an internet address registry that is in our region. And so that's a potential connection in Australia that would mean that the laws within Australia would apply. And that means that Kiwi Farms has potentially broken Australian rules in regards to the content that's on the website. So under the Online Safety Act, which passed last year, the eSafety Commissioner can request that companies block abhorrent violent material, such as depiction of terrorist acts and remove cyber abuse. Mm. On the internet, and if they refuse, they can be fined over half a million dollars. So Liz decided to write a letter to the Australian eSafety Commissioner, who is responsible for online safety, harassment, taking down these sorts of sites all the time. Okay, and so what did Liz say in this letter? So in her letter, she laid out the evidence that Kiwi Farms can fall within the Australian government's remit and made the case for why she thought that they were in breach of the law, and that includes not only a reckless disregard for the law, but human life. The forum is widely known for its gruesome attempts to goad people into suicide, which have tragically succeeded in some cases. Allowing them and the companies that enable them to continue to flout the law across the world can only lead to further tragedy. And it mentioned the attempted swatting of Clara Sorrenti in Northern Ireland as well. She said that Kiwi Farms continues to make the Christchurch and Tops shootings and both associated manifestos available to people in Australia, Mm. which is in violation of the Online Safety Act. She also alleges uh, it hosts adult cyber abuse content about her specifically, which is also an abuse of the Online Safety Act. Okay, so given how long Kiwi Farms has been around, how come the eSafety Commissioner hasn't already done something about the website? The eSafety Commissioner has been aware of this website since the Christchurch shootings a couple of years ago, and that is due to the fact that Kiwi Farms was hosting the Christchurch videos and the manifesto. They issued a notice to uh, the website and ordered it to be taken down, but didn't do it. So they briefly blocked the website until they determined that the the content wasn't available anymore. And then they took the block down. So what has happened to Liz's complaint since she lodged it? So the things that I heard from the safety commissioner essentially boiled down to by the time that they actually processed it, it was moot. Um, Their view was that once Kiwi Farms was even temporarily offline, um, that there was no longer any jurisdiction for them to get because the material was no longer available. And Cloudflare, in fact, did pull the plug ultimately. So Josh, in the end, the eSafety Commissioner said she couldn't really do anything about Liz's complaint because Kiwi Farms is not online anymore, even though, as we know, it could pop back up at any moment. What did Liz say about this? Does she think there needs to be changes in the way we regulate these sites to prevent this kind of thing from happening again? I think that there are some angles that are inadequately examined. Um, what was clear from when I was speaking with the eSafety Commissioner's office is that they are primarily concerned with cyberbullying and abuse and content that happens on Twitter and Facebook, right? Like on these platforms that whose identities are well-known to the authorities, who are very interested in continuing to remain in the good graces of the law, who are willing to comply and take down content, right? That is their bread and butter, and my situation was very unusual to them. Because in their eyes, um, when they think about, you know, a hosting provider, what they're thinking about is Facebook or Twitter, right? Like organizations that want to comply with the law. What they have not contemplated is organizations that are deliberately trying to evade the legal system, right? So I I I think that's the problem.
So Josh, it sounds like there's still a big question mark over whether Australian authorities will act decisively to prevent Kiwi farms from staying online here. But it's interesting to me that it took an organised campaign of individuals online to bring down this website, which is obviously much smaller than major platforms like Facebook and Twitter, which are also well known for hosting hate speech. Could the Drop Kiwi Farms campaign be used as a blueprint for taking hate speech offline in the future? I think it definitely could be, but I see the Drop Kiwi Farms campaign as more of a symptom of the problem than a solution. I don't think people should have to start these kinds of movements or have a huge following online already to force these companies to actually take action in these areas. This this is something that they should be already thinking about automatically and having clear, well-defined, transparent policies in place for dealing with this type of content and when these things happen from time to time because they're only going to keep happening more and more. Mm. You have to wonder how many people who were previously targeted by Kiwi Farms but did not have such a large following to tap into and nowhere to go were just essentially forced offline and unable to express their views online because they were a focus and a target of these campaigns from Kiwi Farms themselves. Unfortunately, the reality is that the victims of the site are going to be fighting the kind of aftershocks of this for many, many years, but we can at least prevent there from being new victims of this site, right? The user base will scatter, they'll go to various fragmented places, Um, they might try to resume the same tactics, but I think without a centralized gathering point, they're going to find it hard to do the particular kind of harassment they've been doing. But you're absolutely right that, you know, copies of the site will, you know, will be archived, they'll exist. In, in places like people will always be trying to get this harassment and libelous material off of off of the internet for a very long time from now. Um, yeah, I think you know the broader question is how do we prevent this from happening again? Because if this technique can be used against transgender people, this can also be used to harass other people who are who are otherwise marginalized in the future. to reporter Josh Taylor and to Liz Vong-Jones for their time. If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please call Lifeline for support 24 hours a day on 13 11 14. Josh has spoken to a number of digital media experts on the lessons we can learn from the Drop Kiwi Farms campaign for an article that's called It's Not That Hard, Does Kicking Kiwi Farms Off the Internet Prove Tech Firms Can Act Against Hate Speech? We'll post a link to that article on the full story page. This episode was produced by myself, Jordan Beasley, and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing. Full Story's executive producers are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and Laura Murphy-Oates. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time.